Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks in the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today, September 23, means it's episode number 102. Well, just ahead, BlackBerry has rosy predictions for the future, but there is a wild card. And Carnival sets sail again under their own terms, not those of the Florida governor. And how TripAdvisor is executing for a post-pandemic world with a big bet on subscriptions. My conversation with Clockwise Capital's James Chockmock. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with Era. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to The Drill Down every day, and we encourage that. So many of you are. Hey, try it out in your smart speaker. Look at that smart speaker and say, hey, smart speaker, or whatever you call it. Play The Drill Down podcast. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Indeed, Isaac. I don't know if I told you, but one of our listeners contacted me wanting to know if Braintrust was a solution for their programming needs for the company. And I actually put on a bunch of programmers from Braintrust on a big project. Exciting stuff. I just got cold chills. Wow. <laughs> All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories by the Stocks and Move. Joining me Right now, executive producer Isaac Webster with the three most important business developments today. Corey, let's get right to it. Uh, Let's start with Hurricane Ida. We haven't talked that much about Hurricane Ida, but we've got some news here. Ida is posed to join Katrina, Sandy, Harvey, and Irma on the list of the top five costliest hurricanes as measured by insured losses. Ever. Ever. Ida storm damage is expected to cost insurers at least $31 billion dollars. Auto, home, and business insurers may reflect the share of these costs in the third quarter earnings. So something to be on the lookout for. Yeah, and I always look for the reinsurers also who really yeah. bear the brunt, the biggest brunt of this because they are, they're sort of the backstop to the insurers. Now, let's stay on this insurance beat. Medicare insurers drew $9.2 billion in federal payments in one year through controversial billing practices. Now, this is according to the federal health investigators coming out with a new report this week. The report found that 20 companies benefited disproportionately and together accounting for more than half of the total. It's the latest sign of a growing scrutiny of Medicare Advantage insurers, which offer private plans under the federal benefit program. And it's raising concerns that these insurers might be gaming the process to improperly boost federal payments. I hope this doesn't make it harder for people to collect on their insurance, though. Right, right. I mean, it's it's one of those things where one bad one bad apple, right? And finally, let's get to uh, we're going to stay in D.C. Senator Elizabeth Warren and three other top Democrats, all members of the Senate Banking Committee, committee, are raising concerns about SPAC incentives. They sent open letters to several creators of special purpose acquisition companies, questioning how SPAC executives are compensated and requesting more details about their potential conflicts of interest. SPAC creators are under increasing regulatory scrutiny of these blank check companies. Yeah, I think the most egregious stuff are the warrant unlocks. Well, there's there's, there's, there's a bunch of problems. As we've talked about, we've had Niccolo DeMasi right. on a couple times that are talking about this, about good practices and bad practices. we got to yeah. get him back. 
uh, to talk about what's going on in the SPAC world because when He'll you be saw the re-accounting, yeah. uh, the, 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 the changes in the accounting rules for how warrants were accounted for and the cost and the dilution of those warrants, you saw a lot of SPACs just kind of disappear and not get into the market. But there have been some good practices for some of them because there have been some really bad ones from the other ones that have let the insiders get out really early in these deals. And it looks like they're set up to just get the listing, not to bring a business to the public markets. And we'll be talking about this with Niccolò Damasi in a few weeks, actually. Fantastic. Best person to talk to about this. His, his SPACs, just to be clear, have been ranked the very best and have done the perform the best in the aftermarket out of any sponsor. So he's just the right guy, which is why we have him on the show. Great. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's look at Carnival Cruise Lines. Carnival uh, trades under CCL. Shares have gained 63% over the past 12 months. What's new with Carnival? Well, Carnival out this week, and I kind of missed this right when I crossed, but Carnival said that its core cruise lines are now operating half their ships. They've got 22 ships and half of them are out there. And they've, uh, with two more, uh, started sailing on Sunday. So um, from seven different U.S. home ports, and not the 15 they normally depart from, but they're gonna, um, they're growing and they're and they're expanding their business and get, trying to get back to pre-COVID times, despite the best efforts of the governor of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis, as you may recall, last summer, um, got really mad at Carnival in particular for saying that they wanted all their passengers to be vaccinated for the safety of the crew, for the safety of the um, uh, other passengers, and indeed, um, they wanted to be able to advertise that these cruises are safe. Governor DeSantis took him to court. Uh, Carnival won the first round, lost the second round. Um, and uh, But it's all kind of for naught because some of the places these cruises go, like the Bahamas, insist that everyone on the ship be vaccinated. So if they can't go anywhere, they're right. not going to leave from Florida. And so what you see Carnival doing is planning to take ships out of other ports and doing so. Um, and doing so in the way that they want to, which is fully vaccinated for the safety of everybody involved. And of course, it doesn't help their marketing if passengers don't know if people on board are going to be vaccinated or not. Um, and there were uh, then Norwegian cruise lines got into things and a Florida judge has uh, issued a preliminary injunction in favor of Norwegian cruise lines, allowing them to make proof of vaccination mandatory for its passengers. So I went back and listened to the most recent update from the Carnival uh, CEO, uh, Arnold Donald. Yes, he has two first names. Who does that to their kid? I'm sure the Donald parents were lovely, but why would you do that to your son? Is he Arnold or is he Donald? You're stuck with Donald. Do you got a name of Arnold? Shouldn't you give him a last name as a first name then? They just wanted him to be a character in a book. Okay, well, Arnold Donald has had a really tough job at Carnival and seems to be managing it quite well. And what he's saying is like, look, we're going to welcome our guests aboard. We're in a dialogue with the office, but we're going to dialogue with the CDC. And there's lots of people who've got a conditional sale order and we're going with it. Here's Arnold Donald. So where we are is that, you know, we're looking to walk forward to welcome our guests on board. Um, we're continuing to be in dialogue with the governor's office. Um, we continue to be in dialogue with the CDC. You know, as you know, there's the court ruling that affected the conditional sale order. Um, and that's through... Um, still in place, the conditional sale order from CDC through July 18. And at this point, um, we were prepared to sail under that order 
uh, with primarily vaccinated cruises. Uh, there will be unvaccinated um, people on those cruises, not 100% vaccinated. And, um, and so, you know, we're very um, optimistic and working very hard to ensure that um, we can try to make everyone happy. But we are welcoming our guests on board Horizon uh, July 4th and 4th. Horizon's one of their biggest boats uh, and one of their boats that they sail out of Florida. And as he mentions, that conditional order with the CDC does let them continue to require that all people who can be vaccinated are vaccinated, which is, I don't know. I mean, Governor DeSantis and I, I guess, disagree about that. It just seems to me like it's the best, safest thing and the best thing they can do for their marketing for people that are concerned about it. If you don't want to get vaccinated, don't go take a cruise. Corey, what is your next drill down? Big story of the day, BlackBerry. BlackBerry BB shares have risen around 93% over the past 12 months, well outperforming the S&P. Yeah, almost three times the S&P's performance. Um, now, this company uh, came out with an earnings announcement, and uh, some of their business was down, their licensing business and so on, way down. There were other two big businesses, cybersecurity up $120 million, which is a sort of flat, so I should say, of $120 million, flat year over year. Their IoT business up 30%. The IoT business did very well despite the global chip business. But Internet of Things. Correct. Thank you. Um, but profits? No. There's no profit. There's no operating profits. They lose money on everything they sell. And that has been the case for a long time. They haven't had operating profits in five years. Do they still a, make phones? No, they, they license some stuff out. But uh-huh. they're not the they're, they're big phone business is not their business. Cybersecurity is their biggest business. But like uh-huh. I said, they lose money on it. Right. Because the business loses money. They don't like it when I characterize it that way. But it is a true fact that they haven't had operating profitability since 2012. That's, that could be before we met, Isaac. Is that possible? Actually, yeah. Which, so they haven't had a wow. profit since then, with the exception of six quarters out of the last 40. And those are barely profitable. So... When they come out with rosy predictions, I think, huh? Like they're saying that their their predictions for the rest of the year, their guidance was strong after their uh, their conference call on Wednesday. But there was a caveat, and I was listening very co- closely for any caveats from John Chen, the CEO, because what could go wrong with those rosy predictions, particularly in the IoT business? What could the wild card be? Here's John Chen. The only wild card, so to speak, is the chip shortage and the impact of that. Um, from all the indicators, you know, all the ups and downs and give and take, and we spoke to a lot of them, the OEMs, um, that, um, you know, North America seems to be getting better in Q3, Q4, um, as it compared to Q2. Uh, good, a good example would be, you know, Ford be, believe they could, they are improving and, uh, and GM also is, you know, although they're going to shut down uh, a couple of factories in Q3, but I think for my magnitude, it's improving uh, versus the first half of the year. So North America, you see it going back, improving in the situation. Um, Europe, however, still had about a 10 to 15% impact of the production, and so is Asia Pacific. Um, so net of all that, um, if if we're in that range without any dramatic departure, then the numbers that that we expected in the second half still hold. So you know there 
once again, you've got a company sort of saying that things that are out of their control that have been getting bad and getting worse, just like we saw from FedEx yesterday, that that, you know, hey, things are going to get better. We're seeing little signs of it and, and they better get better just for us to hit our numbers. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Suncor. Suncor. Suncor's trades under SU. Shares have risen 55% over the past 12 months, but some bad news this week. Yeah, terrific. A little story, a scoop from uh, Robert Tuttle of Bloomberg News. Um, he found out that Suncor's um, Sin Crude Canada, which is a light crude producer, majority owned by Suncor, had massively cut their September supplies due to a mechanical disruption at their oil sands site in Alberta, and uh, that that they were cutting as much as 20% to one of their customers. Apparently, this reporter got a hold of a force majeure notice sent to one of the four owners earlier this month. Customers informed of a supply cut of as much as 20% in the month of September. Um, the company, uh, at least, um, you know, was, wasn't was did not come up with this release. It was broken by Bloomberg News. But it made me want to look at what's going on with those uh, oil sands producers, Oil sands, of course, by some measure, are the most polluting types of oil uh, discovery. They've actually made a really big commitment, knowing that that's a problem up there. Indeed, knowing that some of the pipelines, uh, uh, the Keystone XL in particular, was fought by environmentalists because of the pollution that comes out of the oil sands process. Well, the oil sands makers have actually made a commitment, a handful of them, four of them, Suncor included, to uh, uh, get to net zero carbon emissions. By 2050. Now, I know 2050 is a long ways off, but the notion that you could have any kind of production there without the sort of massive pollution that we've seen thus far is in, in carbon um, emissions is really impressive given what that business is. Here's CEO Mark Little talking about their goal to take the whole oil sands industry to uh, carbon emissions net zero by 2050. Essentially, this is about taking the whole oil sands industry to net zero by 2050. Um, it's like, I, I view this as an unprecedented collaboration between the oil sands producers. It represents 90% of the operators today. Though I fully expect that we will have the, the remaining uh, operators join this journey as we go forward. There's one very significant foundational uh, set of infrastructure that, that we see is critical to this. And it's around building the carbon capture and sequestration capability for the industry. Uh, we think this is about 50% of the industry solution as we go forward, as we think to the future. And so it's really important. By working together, we realize we can drop the cost of this significantly because we can all use a lot of common infrastructure and we can go faster and we can do it cheaper. All of which I think is super important in this journey going forward. So, uh, you know, saying the right things, that's better than they used to. We'll see if they get it done. Uh, there's this carbon sequestration process that they don't even know how to do yet, but they think they can get there by 2050. Probably a good goal. And, you know, let's also think about what this means. So for the rest of the world of oil right now, you've got um, uh, those guys produced um, 275,000 barrels between January and May, according to regulators in Canada. You know, Canada slows down. Gulf of Mexico has been slow to recover from the aforementioned Hurricane Ida, which hit Louisiana in August, August 29. So you had the offshore production mostly shut in. Um, and so you got about 300,000 barrels not coming out of the Gulf of Mexico. 
You got, we don't know how much not coming out of Alberta with this mechanical problem. That probably means oil prices heading up, which affects all kinds of industries. What a great scoop. You got to give it to Bloomberg for that. Yeah, Robert Tuttle. All right, well, coming up, our guest, Clockwise Capitalist James Chakmak, talks to us about TripAdvisor. This is a, he thinks is doing a lot better than it looks. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Indeed. When you pay for a job site, you should know what you're getting. Get Indeed. You only pay for quality candidates who have the must-have requirements that you need. Don't just hope for perfect candidates to find you. Indeed's hiring tools help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. With Indeed assessments, choose from 135 skill tests. Make sure you're finding applications from the people with the skills you need. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites combined, and one and a half times more hires than even internal referrals. So join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Get started right now. Drill Down listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade their job post. That's your job post could be upgraded. All you got to do is go to Indeed.com slash Drill Down. That's right, a $75 credit for you at Indeed.com slash Drill Down. That's Indeed.com slash Drill Down. Offer valid through September 30. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. As promised, one of our favorites, James Chakmak, joins us from Clockwise Capital. And uh, James, you have brought a company to look at, uh, TripAdvisor, the you know the number one travel site in terms of traffic on the interwebs. Um, it's it's a really interesting time for this company. Well, um, tell me why this this is in the forefront of your thoughts today. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. First of all. Um, you know, TripAdvisor, it's interesting because it's a company that's been along, uh, around for a very long time. Yeah. You know, it was, it was within Expedia, spun out of Expedia. Uh, it was primarily their advertising uh, asset, but it has morphed into something much more than that. It's the number one site in terms of traffic, uh, travel-related traffic, um, you know, ahead of any of the uh, online travel agents like Expedia and Booking. Um, you know, they have 500 million uh, users uh, coming to the site, and they have over or nearly a billion reviews on the site. So it's it's become I've left a, a, few. Uh, an, an, a name synonymous and with uh, travel. They've been scaling. Really? Yes, I've some of my <laughs> best writing and the meanest writing I've ever done has been on TripAdvisor. You know, those well, that's rare good times because I'm stuck in a bad place because I'm cheap. Well, that, that's good because at least I can tell you from personal experience in terms of. Um, the uh, not only the quality of the reviews, but also the um, the accuracy of the reviews. I found, especially internationally, TripAdvisor, um, you know, uh, is, you know, is is better than any other other travel sites. So, um, well, so let's let's you know, let's go back to like the thirty thousand foot view here. What, yeah. what? How does this company make money? So it makes money a couple of ways. You know, the, their biggest segment is called the hotel and, and media. That's that's basically their advertising revenue on the site, as well as um, uh, ads posted by the hotel operators, um, where they generate revenue through auction-based pricing and click-throughs onto on links to the hotels. 
And then they have a second bucket. That's about two thirds of their business. The second bucket is called experiences and dining. Um, that's basically all of the activities and, and restaurants and, and things of that nature that you, that you discover and book uh, on the site. And then the third is other, which includes you know, car rentals and um, cruises and, and things of that nature. But you know, the company is interesting because yes, it's been around a long time, but you know, a couple of years ago, they had huge setbacks as, as Google really made a push forward in terms of their own travel um, information um, and direct booking capabilities on flights and, and whatnot and hotels. And that really hurt uh, TripAdvisor's um, business as, as our hotel operators and other travel operators shifted in Google's direction. So they really had to rethink uh, what their and business that was, that was is to after become. The EU went after Google for specifically for Google Flights and in ways that they were they were taking uh, um, people were looking for any other competitor's service and and sending them right back to Google. At least that was the accusation by the, uh, the EU. Yeah, the EU uh, has always put the, protected the suppliers, and um, and Google uh, is at the middle of that because suppliers want to work with Google because that's ultimately where the traffic is, you know, that compares to the U.S. where it's all about how do you protect the consumers. But the consumers weren't getting hurt and, you know, and the travel operators weren't getting hurt. Third-party sites, the meta-search sites, were getting hurt, but that's not where users wanted to go. So Google is able to skirt around these issues. But at the end of the day, they were winning, winning relative to TripAdvisor. So they had to rethink what their business means. And that's where we are today, fast-forwarding to 2021, coming out of the pandemic what they're trying to do is get back to where they were in terms of their ad and uh, ad business, but ultimately introduce a new offering called TripAdvisor Plus, which is a subscription-based offering where you pay $99 a year and you receive uh, discounts it's not, it's on TripAdvisor Plus is not, I thought it was for extra large travelers, no? That's different. <laughs> well, That's TripAdvisor that is... <laughs> XL, maybe someday in the future. So TripAdvisor Plus is what? Uh, it's a subscription-based offering uh, to receive discounts on hotel and other travel-related bookings. Mm. On average, uh, TripAdvisor states that you save about $350 per uh, travel um, that you book. Um, you know, so you make you know three, four times your money back uh, on the first trip. Uh, but the the way it works is, you know, the commission that they used to capture uh, from the um, from bookings. Uh, the commission that they got from the hotel operator or, or, or any of the travel suppliers that work with them, which is a 7 to 15% commission rate, you know, in, what they're doing is they're giving that 100% uh, back to the consumer, and that's how you get the discount on the travel bookings, and they're making money on the backside through the subscription uh, that the consumer is paying. So, so if the, you were spending travel agent bucks in a hotel room for a week, and it was in, in TripAdvisor – was getting call it a hundred dollar commission out of that. Right. Instead, they sell you the room for nine hundred bucks, but you paid a membership fee to be part of TripAdvisor Plus. Precisely. Um, and that's well not said. worse for them. That's not less revenue for TripAdvisor. It's, it's, it's. I mean, it's obviously, it is, it is, it is, it is cannibalistic, you know, to some extent. But um, looking into the future. Um, you know, what type that's a, it's a, it's a very high margin associated with it because it's essentially, um, all flows to the bottom line and it builds a recurring revenue base for them. As if you're paying for the subscription, you're inclined to continue to use the service. 
And um, as the world moves into more of a subscription-based world, whether it's you know paying for Amazon Prime, paying for um, <clears throat> uh, software, what have you, you know, it's it's that mindset and uh, should enable them to uh, you know capture consumers and ultimately as long as they continue to be able to deliver on augmentation of supply and, and availability of hotels and travel experiences, then there's no reason why consumers shouldn't move in that direction. And for the stock perspective, it won't take that many subscribers to actually move the needle um, on you know what the financial impact can ultimately be. So in their most recent uh, quarterly results, they posted a, a presentation, which is fairly common thing for companies when they talk about what the results are and they give you a little bit mm-hmm. of a view of the company and the things that they're going to say during their prepared remarks. Um, they do something I've only ever seen. And I don't think these guys are a scam at all to be very clear, but I've only ever seen this with scammy companies <laughs> where they give you charts showing how successful they are that don't include the most recent year. <laughs> so they're like, you know, strong track record of profitability and free cash flow generation. Look at 2017, look at 2018, look at 2019. Look, yeah, don't look over there. Don't look at 2020. 2020 kicked these guys in the ass. Or yeah, I mean, or it, some body part. I, I mean, it's not. It wasn't just TripAdvisor. To be right. fair, it was anybody related to anything that involves not e-commerce or leaving outside your home. Um, so, you know, they have an uphill road to climb to get back to where they were. But as it stands right now, they'll be about two thirds of where they were by the end of this year. And by next year, they should be 100% back to where they were. And um, then you have the optionality of this subscription business that they're offering. So the way we look at it is you're essentially getting, you know, on a normalized basis, you're getting the company for, you know, three, four times sales. And then you have the optionality on top with the subscription offering where we think that as the, because our, our encompassing thesis around all the companies that we invest in is the world will not go back to the way it was. We think that businesses will demand a more flexible environment as well as the employees. So if you're living in a world where flexibility is the cornerstone of the decisions you make, excuse me, um, then travel will obviously be one of those things that will be more top of mind uh, than it was before for both traveling for pleasure and traveling for um, you know, that type of experience you want to live in for whatever point in your life you're in. Yeah. So what are these guys good at? What is management here really good at? Cause okay. Now that I've made fun of them for ignoring 2020 and they're <laughs> in their splashy presentation and their PowerPoints, you know, they really did show, you know, EBITDA growth, fantastic cash flow growth of year over year after year after year of 33%, free cash flow growth of 40% year after year after year. Well, you know, these guys have clearly put up some financial numbers that are impressive. What well, What is it that they're so good at? Yeah. I mean, we're not giving them too much credit in terms of being able to get back the business to where it was. You know, um, essentially, they're just benefiting from the recovery in that sense. Yes, they're, you know, they're, they're, their financial acumen seems to be showing. But really, what we like is the fact that the company is showing a willingness to be adaptable, adaptable to changing times and rethinking, you know, what their core offering should be. Um, you know, it's 
it's, they're not uh, doubling down and, and trying to get back to where they were um, and grow with the same strategy. It's where is the world going and what type of solutions can we afford apply, uh, provide uh, to adapt to that new world? And we, we like the subscription angle. Yeah, and it, it does look like, um, you know, up until June at least, they were, as you won't point out, they went from a, a small fraction of what they were doing in 2019 to, you know, a lot better positioning. I mean, they went from, I guess they were saying in January that about half of the business they did in January 2019, but by June, it was 80% of what they did in uh, June of 2019. But Delta variant has, you know, there's, we don't have a lot of data about this yet, but I've been doing things like creating searches on Google Trends for, I did a thing, I think I put it on the, on the, on the Twitter, uh, and, I'll, and I'll update this uh, when we run the interview. And, 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 uh, uh, it was compare the searches for how do I book a trip to how do I cancel a trip and the cancelizations, cancelization, cancelizations, is that the word? There are more, more people are canceling flights than any times, at least searching for that phrase than any time since uh, I think February of 2020, you know, look at the Delta variant was really significantly impeding travel. You have uh, business travel, obviously isn't back. Maybe that's not a big part of TripAdvisor's business uh, work, but you have companies like Google, Facebook, Starbucks, Uber, who are just aren't opening up again until next year. And that can't be helpful mm-hmm. to TripAdvisor. No, that's totally fair. Um, and we, we don't know the impact of Delta variant. Um, and But at the same time, we also probably this time last year, we didn't think that we'd make this much progress a year later. So, you know, obviously we have to look at it through somewhat of an optimistic lens that the world will continue to reopen and, and things will continue to get better as vaccination rates go up and and so forth. But um, ultimately, we we don't evaluate investments on, you know, one month, three months, even one year basis. You know, we look at things on a multi-year basis and hopefully on a multi-year basis, the world will be back to where it is and the world will be back in a way that's people demand more flexibility um, with where they are, what they do. And um, and TripAdvisor, we think it could be in the middle of that. And ultimately, you know, this is an asset that we think, just given the raw numbers of of, of people coming to the site and the synonymity, I'm not sure what word I'm trying to say. Now I'm making This is great. The the fact that it's synonymous with um, with travel, um, think could make it an acquisition target as well. I mean, you know, you could see a company like Amazon throw this in there. Uh, into the mix. You know, if you're already paying for Prime, would you be willing to pay $10 more for, you know, access to stuff like this? Just I don't know. Travel, maybe. Sure. But, but ultimately, I think this does make sense, you know, within the portfolio of a larger company. So um, as long as the, the content is there and the content is virtually irreplaceable, you know, gathering a billion reviews is no easy feat. Um, you know, it's worth should be worth a fair amount of money to someone. And it's only you love the, the company's worth about four. Where the user creates the content <laughs> and then you get to sell it. I mean, just the number of photos they have on that site that, that travelers have taken yeah, it's pictures remarkable. of is it's a unique resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're just getting, like, you're getting the business for a few times sales and optionality on the, uh, on the um, subscription side. So I don't, we like it. Uh, we like you, James Chalkmock. James Chalkmock, Clockwise Capital, joins us from the city of Miami. Lucky you. Yes, thank you. 
right, we'll build on continues. We're going to have a number. How about the number of photos that TripAdvisor has? The number is kind of jaw-dropping on how many candid traveler photos they've posted on the site. We'll have that number as the drill down bite when the drill down continues. But first. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And if you have a favorite podcast platform, well, we all do. It's like having a favorite child. You don't necessarily tell them, but tune in. I have my favorite tune in uh, way to listen to podcasts. Sometimes it's tune in uh, because you can listen to tune in, for example, listen to our voices at two times speed, whip through that drill down podcast, in like 15 minutes. It's, there's nothing like it, but make sure you click subscribe and follow us to catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at drill down pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. We're back with a drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about TripAdvisor. TripAdvisor has, get this, Isaac, 300 million candid traveler photos on their site. Wow. So think about that. Like every crappy restaurant, hotel, car rental situation. Why crappy? Why do you say crappy? Who knows? They got the good ones too. But I feel like when you've got those kind of candid shots, you get a real sense of what a place is like uh, that the... You know, you log into a hotel website, they all look like, you know, Four Seasons or something. Well, they're professional, you know, and then you get there and it's like, well, this doesn't quite look like the picture. Yeah, so I'm a big, I'm a big fan of those TripAdvisor. Uh, I should find, I don't wonder if I can find the really, really mean reviews I've left. I'm not that guy. Really? Because you seem I'm like you would really, be that guy. I'm I, not I, that guy. There's, I can see there's you being one or two guy. occasions. It was the only revenge I could have. Uh-huh. And if I can yeah. find those, I'll put those on at Corey TV on the Twitter. We do appreciate your listening to the Drill Down Podcast. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor. And I'm Corey Johnson. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. <laughs>